Good morning. Good morning, church family. Y'all give these kids one more round of applause. They did amazing. Thank you so much, Brother Arnie, for helping lead our kids this morning. We want to welcome you to our candlelight service in what has been the craziest year uh, that probably any of us can undoubtedly remember. Uh, but we want to welcome you today and just let you know that you are free to feel at home here in this place, here at Calvary Tabernacle. We believe in expressive worship. We believe in who Jesus is, as, as he said he was in the Bible. And uh, we believe also that we are a family together as the body of Christ. We are a family. So, so welcome home. Make yourself at home this morning. I'm going to give just a, a little bit of direction before we start into our worship program. Uh, first of all, hopefully as you came in, this morning, uh, hopefully you grabbed a little uh, communion element and a candle with you as well. If you have not, then uh, don't worry. There's plenty of time to do that. You can just slip out at any time during the service or uh, raise your hand, and I'm sure an usher will come and assist you with that. Uh, but we will be taking communion here at the end of our service this morning. Um, and so we want to invite you all to do that with us. You don't have to be a member here at Calvary Tabernacle to take part in communion. Uh, you don't have to be a certain age, and we're going to give some, some instruction according to the Word of God for that here in just a moment. So even if you have some young kids with you, we encourage you as a parent to take the time this morning to uh, help teach them what communion is, and, and we're going to do all that together here in just a few moments. But uh, in the meantime, we're going to worship. We're going to give God our praise. This is a season to celebrate, and in the midst of a crazy year, uh, we know that celebration is more needed than any other time that we can possibly remember. Uh, so today is a reason to hope and to celebrate. So we want to invite you to do that this morning. Nothing we do this morning is, is just for spectation. We invite you all to join in with us with your praise and worship this morning. So having said that, we're going to watch a video and then we're going to worship together.
Why? Why? Why did Jesus come to earth? Why forsake the majesty and fellowship of heaven? Exchanging a palace for a stable. Immortal comforts for a feeding trough. And robes of glory for the feeble body of an infant. An unparalleled irony, this supreme, unrivaled nobility experiencing absolute and total humility. Our sovereign God, Emmanuel, as a baby. He didn't come to heap shame upon sinners or to judge and cast out the impious, but to break bread with those called unrighteous. He didn't come to illuminate every mystery of the cosmos or to enlighten the intellectual, but to fulfill the testimony of prophets clothed in rags. He didn't come to elevate a single nation or to advocate a particular political affiliation. He came because he saw you broken in need of salvation. He saw you lost and abandoned crying out, surrounded by deaf ears, fighting through the tears, but beaten down by the torments of this world. And unable to bear your distress, he renounced his eternal throne, walked the earth, bore the stripes, accepted the nails, and gave up his last breath, so that you could receive the breath of life. that your soul was worth dying for. From the manger, to the cross, to the empty tomb. It is all a story of profound love, of a savior who rescued his children from darkness. Of a blameless king who declared that no sacrifice was too great for the sake of his beloved creation. Why did Jesus come to earth? He came for you. to do, but we are just here to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.
take time to remember the miracle of the incarnation, the wonder of Jesus' birth, one cell inside her. The world outside her body is chaos. The star already in the sky and the wise men on their camels are coming. The cell divides and life is stirring in Mary's womb. lonely road to Bethlehem remembers the moment when the angel came. She rests her hand nervously on her stomach and whispers to it. You are the king of the universe inside of Her quiet words are carried by the still desert wind to their proper place. And heard by the heaven of God. And he is pleased. One cell inside of her. Now four, then eight. Now the familiar form of a human child. So delicate, the God of the universe unborn. Yet the same yesterday, the same today, and the same forever. The fullness of life has the fullness of time has arrived, and all of heaven is watching with eager expectation. Like every human breath since the creation has been the fresh air of beginning. And when she arrives, ready to give birth to the child in the city of David, the whole host of heaven is watching. What they witness is a young woman pushed through pain with tears. What they do not yet see are the images of a teacher, a healer, a shepherd, a man walking on water to a terrified disciples, the same strong man nailed to that terrible tree. His blood poured out for you and me. Nor can they see the moment he formed the stars, and a tender hand gathered up the dust to form the first Adam. As Mary cried out, what they see Adam, God's only son, born into this broken world. And all the host of heaven cried, Holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. As Mary cried out, what they Herself. Touching the arm of Joseph, she speaks to the child. A brave to disturb the silence. God is with us. This Christmas season, we remember that God sent his son into the world. And the miracle of the incarnation is that he is with us still.
reset the age of time, foundations of the earth and sky. Saw it all and said that it was good. The joy was set before your eyes. You knew that you would give your life. You saw it all and said that it was
How beautiful, how beautiful, my goodness. Jesus, we love you. God, we are so thankful for your gift, the gift of your one and only son. God, we are in all, just as in this video, the, the king, the wise man, he was in all. God, we are in all before you. You have been so good, so wonderful. And God, we thank you. And we take this time to remember what this Christmas season is truly about. It's about the greatest gift that has ever been given, the gift of Jesus. God, you are so wonderful. We thank you for this moment in Jesus' name. Someone say amen. Amen, amen. amen. I don't know if you can hear it. I hear a little bit of a ring back there. You may have to pull me down just a little bit. I'll get loud here in a second. <laughs> welcome, welcome. I want to share just uh, a, a short message with you that will hopefully bring some comfort, some joy. We, we sing about it during Christmas time. Hopefully, it will bring some peace to your heart, and hopefully, it will bring you some hope because we all need hope. Look at your neighbor and say, I need some hope. I need some hope. Amen. I want to look at one verse of scripture in particular this morning with you, and that's Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1, and in verse 23, it says, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And in case you haven't noticed, the theme of this whole service this morning is just that. God is with us. And I believe, especially in, in the time that we're living in today, there are very few words that could give a person so much hope as those that God is with us. He is with us. And so I, I want to share just a short message. I've got four points, but I promise it won't be any longer than normal, so just hang right in there with me. And point number one is this. If you're taking notes, feel free to write this down. God is with us. That's point number one. God is with us. I want you to notice this in this verse that we just read. It doesn't say that, it, it, well, it doesn't say she will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God's wisdom is with us or God's protection is with us or God's provision is with us or we can sum it all up. It doesn't say that God's benefits are with us. Listen, it's even better than that. The promise of Emmanuel is that God himself is with us. He is with us. And along with him come all these wonderful benefits. But I think a lot of times, especially in a moment like the moment that we're living in today, we're asking, you know, God, I need you. God, it's hard for me to hear you right now. God, my family is struggling. God, I, I lost my job. God, uh, my, I've got a loved one that's sick with COVID. God, I, I need help in this area. And, and we forget a lot of times because we're looking for his benefits. So a lot of times we forget that God himself has promised that he would be with us. And I think a lot of times we ask, God, please open a door. Open a door of provision. Oh, open this opportunity up for me. But I want to read a verse of scripture here. It's in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, look, 
I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. So I want to encourage you this Christmas season. I, I know we, we pray, you know, God help and God heal and, and God restore. And those are all biblical things to pray. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be praying those. But I want your heart to be focused this Christmas season. God, I'm going to open the door to you. I've been asking you to open so many doors throughout my life in this last little bit, but God, in this moment, this Christmas season, I am opening the door to you and to your presence. Someone say, God is with us. Here's point number two. God is with us. God is with us. Not only is God himself with us, but God is with us. I want to read this first verse that we read just a moment ago, again, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. It says, look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Notice this, who will call him Emmanuel? They, they. I can't tell you how many times I've read this portion of scripture, and I've totally missed that, totally skipped over it. It says that Mary will conceive and bear a child. She will give birth to this child, and they will call him Emmanuel. Let me ask you a question. Who is they? You know, we, we always say, well, you know what they say, blah, blah, blah. Well, really, who is they? In this verse of Scripture, can I ask you this question? You probably already know it. Who is they? It's us. It's those who are born after or those who are alive after the birth of Jesus, the promise is that his name will be called Emmanuel by they. That's us, which tells me that God's promise is still true today. God is with us. I'm going to say it again for those in the back that maybe, maybe you really need to hear it, or those who might have missed it. God is with us. He hasn't left you in 2020. He's not any further away than he was in 2019. God is with us. Listen, Jesus' name didn't change. His name never, his name, Emmanuel, is an eternal name. And that name means this, God is right now in this moment, in this present time. And I want to encourage you. I want to give you some hope. I know this year has been hard. I mean, I think we're in, what, the 48th month of 2020 by now? Something like that. It's been a really, really hard year in so many areas. So many areas. Do you remember waking up in January and thinking, wow, 2020, the year of perfect vision. And March comes around and just... Slaps you upside the face. You're like, whoa, I did not see that coming. So much for that perfect vision. Listen, the promise is still true. God is with us. John chapter 14, this is beautiful. Starting in verse 16, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. This is what he says. This is before he goes to the cross. He says this. And I will ask the Father, 
and he will give you another advocate. That word advocate means comforter or encourager or counselor. He will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. So we have this promise that Jesus is Emmanuel, the God who is with us. And then Jesus, he's preparing to go to the cross, and he's, he's giving his disciples kind of a last-minute pet talk at this moment. And this is what he says. Listen, listen, disciples, listen. I know things are about to get crazy. And I know it's going to seem like I have left you. And it's going to seem like you, there is no way for you to find me. And it's going to seem like I'm gone and, and finished forever. But listen to me very closely. Listen to me. I know it's about to get, you have to listen to me, disciples. I know it's about to get crazy, but I need you to hear this. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I won't. And you're really going to feel like it. And if I could tell you exactly what was gonna happen, then maybe you would have a better understanding. But listen, you're gonna think that I'm gone. I have never left you and I never will. I never will. I will never leave you. In fact, he tells them this, the promise gets even better. He says, but listen to me, just when you think I'm gone, I'm gonna send someone else to come. It's my Holy Spirit. And not only will he live with you, God is with us, but he will be in you. The promised church did not die when Jesus died on the cross. In fact, the promise got even that much better, that God is with us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 says, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And that is the promise. That's one of the, the miracles of Christmas is that God himself is presently here today with us. Here's point number three. Are you ready? Point number one, God is with us. Point number two, God is with us. Anybody have a guess what point number three is? God is with us. God is with us. Good job. Good job. God is with us. Listen, he is with us. This verse we read just a moment ago in John 14. Jesus tells his disciples, I'm going to go away, but I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send you another helper, an advocate. That word advocate right there comes from the Greek word parakletos, which means, literally it means to be called alongside of. And this is the idea that this word gives us is that the Holy Spirit would come alongside of us like a lawyer would come with us into a court of law. If you had to go into a court of law, who would you want to go with you? Probably not your best friend, definitely not your sibling, 
They probably wouldn't help things out much, pretty sure. Probably not even your mom. The person you would want right beside you is your lawyer. Someone who will stand beside you and advocate for you in a way that they know how will be effective. This is the the meaning of this Greek word, that God would send a helper, the Holy Spirit, to come alongside of us and advocate on our behalf. He would be with us. Isn't that a beautiful picture? I think so many times we, we have this mentality that God is, is so holy that there is no way he would want to be around me. Like, God, you are so good and so perfect, and I'm so messed up, and I'm dirty, and I'm rotten, and I'm sinful, and I've made so many mistakes. God, there's just no way that you could ever want to be with this. Listen to his promise. God is with us. He's not just some mysterious cosmos being up way out in the middle of of nowhere in the universe looking down on us. No, he chose to come and be with you. And that was his desire and that was his, his plan all along. Whenever we celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus, the reason we celebrate that is because God was no longer far off, but he came near us, and he is with us. He is with us. Check this out. Jesus says this in John chapter 16. He's telling his disciples again, he's saying, listen, in fact, it is best for you that I go away. Jesus, there's no way. We don't want you to leave. We want you to stay right here. Establish your kingdom right here. And Jesus says this, listen, it is best for you if I go. Because if I don't, the advocate, the one who is called to come alongside of you, the very spirit of God won't come. But if I do go away, then I will send him to you. This is such a beautiful promise. And it's an eternal promise for us that God himself is presently here right beside us, with us in every moment of our lives. In anything you could be going through, God's promise is that he is with you. I want to look at Revelation chapter 3 one more time. In verse 20 it says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. You might not have ever known this before, but did you know that Jesus likes you? Like we, we all know, right, that God loves us, for God so loved the world. Like we, we know he loves us, but did you know he likes you too? Like he, he genuinely likes you. He created you to be his friend. Let that sink in for a moment. How about them apples? Come on. He is with you. Imagine your best friend. uh, uh, Now, let's move on from the lawyer. You'd want your lawyer with you in a court of law, but you probably wouldn't want to take your lawyer on a vacation with you, right? No, you probably want to take your best friend on a vacation for you. Listen, he didn't just come to get you out of some kind of legal trouble. He came to have intimacy with you. He said, open the door and I will come in and we will have lunch. What are we having? Jimmy John's? Chick-fil-A? 
What, what are we gonna be? <laughs> what are we gonna be having today? Let's share a meal together. I'm not just here to. I think so many of us we we look at God as being so holy that it almost seems incomprehensible to us that He would desire to sit down and just eat with us and and talk with us like a friend. But that's exactly what Jesus says here in Revelation three. We will share a meal together as friends. Someone say, God is with me. Point number four, y'all tell me what it is. God is with us. God is with us. He is with us. The fourth miracle of the name Emmanuel is that God chose to be with us. With us. And so if God has chosen to be with us, then shouldn't we choose to have fellowship with him too? Come on. I want to show you a portion of scripture. This will probably be the most impactful and most beautiful and eloquently written scripture that you will probably read for the rest of this year. And I know that it's going to have a profound impact on your heart. So for just a moment, if you could turn your attention right up here, we're going to read in the previous verses of Matthew chapter 1, which is where we've been staying at this morning. But Matthew chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 1. It says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Someone say amen. <laughs> so good. Ram was the father of Amenadab. Amenadab was the father of Nashan. Nashan was the father of Salmon. Salman was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. This is beautiful, church. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa. And as beautiful and as eloquently written as this is, we're actually going to skip over just a couple of verses here to verse 15. Eliud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Matan. Matan was the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary gave birth to Jesus who is called the Messiah. I know y'all just want to just break out and run around and shout in, in, in spontaneous worship right now, don't you? Yes, I know. Listen, the genealogies in the Bible are just so inspiring. And I know we just love, I, I know y'all read them for fun mostly every morning, right? You just open up to, to Genesis and just read, you know, so-and-so is the father of so-and-so is the father of so Oh, yes, thank you, <laughs> Most people don't typically find it very uh, interesting to read through a genealogy in the Bible, but can I tell you something? There's a reason why they're there. And we actually can learn a whole lot from 
a genealogy in the Bible, believe it or not. And so I want to share with you something very profound about what we just read that seemingly meant a whole bunch of nothing to most of us. But it is so incredible. Before I tell you, though, I've got to fill you in on a little bit. Matthew was a Jewish man. And as he's recording this, he's doing something that is historically important. You see, Jews at that time were meticulous record keepers of genealogy. They kept incredible records of who begat, who begat, who begat, who begat, who. And Matthew gives us a little bit of insight as to where Jesus came from. And he starts all the way back with Abraham. Now, if you go and look in the book of Luke chapter 3, Luke records Jesus' genealogy all the way back to Adam, which is pretty spectacular that they kept that good of records that they would know. But here's the thing that Matthew puts in his record that no other genealogical record in the Bible and most genealogical records by the Jewish people don't include. Does anybody know what it is? The women. Matthew names four women by name in this genealogy, in this record. And as unexciting as it was to read through it, it actually could make a profound difference on, your, on what you believe and what you've ever thought about Jesus. Because God is with who? Us. So here's the question. Matthew, uh, it was against Jewish custom for you to include women in a genealogical record. So Matthew, why did you do it? I want to show you who he included. He included Tamar. Tamar, we can read in the Bible, sold herself as a prostitute to her father-in-law, Judah, to bring forth Perez and Zerah. Someone say, that's just messed up. Rahab, again, was a Gentile prostitute. Matthew, why are you, why are you including them? Ruth, now, the, the first two women we mentioned probably aren't good role models for your daughters. Ruth was an excellent role model for your daughter, an incredible woman of God. But she wasn't even a Jew. She was a Gentile. She lived in a place where I'm sure for all of her life she felt like she didn't belong. The fourth person that Matthew talks about is Bathsheba. If you're familiar with the story of Bathsheba, then you know that some incredibly unspeakable things happened to her, not because of her, not because of any choice of her own, but it happened to her. Think about this. She was living with a man who murdered her previous husband, and he took her as his wife, and she had to live every day looking at the man who murdered her husband. How ugly, how incredibly repulsive would that be? And Matthew records these four women and names them by name, and, and it sticks out whenever you think about it because we can probably relate to a lot of these women. We've done things in our past that we're not proud of, things that are ugly, things that are sinful, things that, that are, are hard to even listen to. Or maybe you can relate to Ruth, who maybe although she's lived a, a pretty decent, godly life, she still feels out of place. She feels like she doesn't belong. She feels like she's undeserving of the grace of a Jewish king. 
And then we read about Bathsheba, who to no fault of her own was handled some of life's ugliest circumstances. She didn't do anything to deserve it, but here she is. And I think Matthew includes this along with names like David, who did the unspeakable, and Solomon, who had 700 wives and 300 concubines, a man that had some serious issues <laughs> with a wild family dynamic. And God chose to include these people in his story. And now we're reading about it some 2,000 plus years later. We're reading of Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and David and Solomon and how Jesus came through these people. The, listen, God chose these people to be the people that the Savior of the world would come through. Wow. That gives me hope knowing that God came for me too, for me too. Church, I messed up. I've made a million and a half terrible decisions and mistakes, and he still came for me, and he's still with me, and his promise is still true. I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Listen, I don't care how messed up your life has been, God chooses you. God chooses you to be a carrier of his story. God is with us. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. It says, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. Can anybody relate to that right there? You're able to say, man, in those days, I was living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made with them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, but now, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now, someone say, but now. You have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. And John chapter one, verse 12 says this, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Wow. Even me too, God? Yes, you too. Even you? Yes, you too. God has chosen you to be a part of his story. Here's his only holdback. He says, you gotta believe and you have to accept. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children. Woohoo! That's good. I'll say it again. He gave you the right to become a child of God. As Americans, we're, we're used to this concept of having rights something that no one can take away from us. That's my right. Listen, church, 
God has given you the right that no one can ever take away. And that right is that you too can become a child of God by believing and accepting Jesus Christ, the one that we celebrate during Christmas. We celebrate hope. But at Christmas time, I also think it's appropriate and in just a moment we're going to have communion. The worship team would come on up. We're going to share in communion. You might think, well, isn't it kind of out of place? Because communion, you know, we're talking about the death of Jesus. We're talking about him dying on the cross. And, you know, Christmas is about the birth of Jesus in the manger. But how many of you know the reason we have the manger was because we needed the cross? We needed the cross. Those of us who were once far off, God is bringing near to him through the message and the miracle and the story of Christmas and the message and the miracle and the story that we'll celebrate in a few months at Easter time. But I want you to notice this, when Jesus came as a baby, he didn't just come as a cute little baby and that's it. No, he came with a purpose. Just as hopefully you walked in these doors this evening with uh, the communion elements in your hand, you came with a purpose that here in the, in, at the ending of this service, we were going to enjoy communion together. Well, Jesus came with that purpose. Listen, God was intentional when he sent his only son. He didn't send his only son to die on the cross so that we could just give out presents and be happy once a year, (laughs) but so that we could truly know him and so that we could experience his presence with us, with us. Go, go ahead and start playing a little bit, please. Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, And of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever. And I want us to pay special attention to this next part. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. We don't use that word zeal too much anymore. That word means jealous passion. Look at it, it says, the jealous passion of the Lord of hosts will do this. What is this? What is he talking about? We we read this almost every Christmas, Isaiah, this prophetic word of of Jesus coming. But what is the the, this that Isaiah is prophesying? The Bible tells us in John chapter 12, These are Jesus' words in verse 27. He says, now my soul is deeply troubled. Should I pray, Father, save me from this hour? No. But this is the very reason I came. This is the reason I came. This is the reason I chose to be called God is with us. This is the reason, y'all, this is, uh, this is good. It was his jealous passion for you. 
that led him to come for this hour. The reason we have Christmas is because we needed this. This. I want to read John chapter 6, verse 47 through 58. Parents here in just a moment, whenever we take communion, I want to encourage you to, to gather around with your children and if they have any questions or maybe if they weren't listening, maybe you can fill them in and, and, and enjoy this moment of communion and teach your children so that they will know. I think we've got probably 80% of the church that, that will take communion and a lot of people don't even know what they're doing. They think it's just a religious exercise maybe to get them into heaven. That's not at all what it is. It's very symbolic of a very important thing that God did. And it's an opportunity that God has invited us in to have fellowship with him. John chapter six says this, starting in verse 47. I tell you the truth, this is Jesus. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Someone say amen to that. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors, they ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. What does that even mean? Jesus, that sounds so weird. What are you talking about? those who eat your flesh. Have you gone mad? What's wrong with you? Is something not clicking up here, Jesus? You better check yourself. I love this. So Jesus said again, because listen, he knew that this would be a hard concept for us to grasp. So Jesus says it again. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. I live because the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna, but will live forever. Jesus says this, listen, they ate the bread in the wilderness, but they died. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this, listen, I'm not talking about truly eating like a cannibal, eating my flesh. What I'm talking about is sharing in my life. And that includes sharing in my death. Whenever we eat the bread, and if you look on your communion packet there, there's a really thin plastic layer on the top and underneath that is a little wafer. You can go ahead and grab that out. We'll take it together here in just a moment. But this is what Jesus is saying. 
saying whenever you take of the bread, you're identifying yourself with the sacrifice that I made for you on the cross. You're sharing in fellowship with the sacrifice that I made for you on the cross. And whenever you drink the wine, the juice that we have, you're, it's symbolic of sharing in that shed blood of Jesus on the cross as he died for us. Jesus gives, or I'm sorry, Paul gives some instruction to one of the churches and he says this, he says, whenever you take of the bread and whenever you take of the wine, do it in remembrance of me. Do it remembering the sacrifice that I made for you. Paul goes even further, he says, examine yourselves as you take communion, examine yourself. In other words, think about your life, think about the places that you go, think about the things that you say, the things that you've done, that the promises that you've broken, the unfaithfulness that you've had in your life, or maybe a lack of commitment in a certain area. Think of, of every way that you've hurt someone, think of, of every way that you've disregarded or, or uh, put away the word of God from your mind so that you could live according to your flesh. He says, think about these moments, examine yourself, examine yourself. And then as you take the bread, remember that my body was broken on the cross so that those things that you have done could be forgiven. They could be wiped clean. They could be, it's like a clean slate. Jesus just And as you take and as you drink the juice, remember my blood that was poured out, that redeeming blood where the enemy had power, the enemy had, listen, this is biblical, the enemy had, not has, had past tense authority over you. But whenever you receive Jesus, whenever you believe in him by faith and accept him as this verse we read said, then you have become, you have been given the right by God to become children of God. And that blood is what bought you back. Where the enemy once had legal right over you, Jesus has paid with his blood so that the enemy no longer has any legal, spiritual authority over your life. So we wanna take for just a moment, before we sing, we're gonna take just a moment and I just want you to reflect on your life. Reflect, examine yourself. And then here in just a minute or so, we'll take the bread together. So just in this moment, just gather up with your family. Take this moment to examine and to talk about the goodness of God. And in just a moment, we'll eat the bread together.
Lord, we thank you for that precious gift that you gave us on that very first Christmas. God, we didn't deserve it. We could never earn it. But you gave it so freely. And you gave it because you wanted to. And God, that gift was so intentional, so intentional. Because you knew whenever that baby, your son, was lying in that manger that in 30 short years, he would be nailed to a cross. Even in your word, you say it gave you great pleasure to do this for me. so undeserving. I don't know how you could ever give your son for someone like me, but I'm thankful that you did. Because without a God, I would... would. another chance and so Lord we take this bread in remembrance of that sacrifice we are so grateful in Jesus name
thank you for the blood. The blood that purchased our freedom. The blood that not only allowed us to be forgiven, but a blood that allowed us to have victory. we thank you for the blood that is so powerful God and as the old song says your blood will never lose its power never had a fault or failure in your eyes and Lord we know that it's only through the blood that you could ever choose to want to be with us and so we thank you for the blood we thank you for the blood and Lord we commit our lives to to walking with you because of this sacrifice we commit our lives to walk with you in a way that honors you in a way that honors the gift that you have given Jesus' name. trash cans at the back. You're welcome as you leave to, to place your trash in the trash can there, or you can leave it there on the pew and we'll have someone come in and pick it up for you. As we celebrate the gift of Christmas, my prayer is that this year we also remember the sacrifice, the reason why we have this wonderful gift. And to help you remember that, we as you leave here today, we have a gift for you. We've got some delicious and beautiful cookies, Christmas cookies. Someone say amen. Yes. But before we go, if you would stand with us, grab the little light in your hand. As we remember the moment that light once again entered into our dark, 
broken and weary world. As we sing this song, I, I hope that it's not just a song that, that you sing because the lyrics are up on the screen, but let it be the attitude and the, the direction of your heart to, to give that worship to a God who has given everything for us. Amen? Amen. So we're going to worship together, and then uh, Brother Keith will pray for us and dismiss after we worship, and we pray that you have a wonderful, wonderful Merry Christmas. Pray that God's blessings would be on you, but most importantly, I pray that we would feel and experience the presence of God is with us. Amen. Let's worship together. Yeah. Hey.
We hope you feel the presence of God more than anything. We didn't prepare for this for any other reason. And not only today, but we pray, we dismiss that you reach out to the Lord and draw closer to him than ever before. I'm going to pray for you to be dismissed. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your gift of salvation that invites every one of us into your kingdom. I pray that if there's someone here that is not ready to meet you, that you would draw their heart as you have been all of their life already and continue to draw this whole city, this whole nation, and this whole world to you because you died for us to live with you in eternity. I pray that you would bless this people as they go and their children. As, no matter how the darkness looks, that we would focus on you and believe the word that was spoke today. We bless you and we bless the people in Jesus' name.